So tonight we're going to have a little fun. I, I love to go on trips. Anybody else with me? Amen. I love trips. I, I enjoyed uh, getting to go to the Dominican Republic and see the people there. Uh, getting the opportunity to see different places, meet new people, eat interesting foods. I tried squid this week for the first time in my life. Uh, thank you, Brother Zeke, for that. Wherever he is, I think he's looking for a laser pointer, isn't he? All right. All right. They're on a desperate search. Well, tonight we're going to go on a little bit of a trip uh, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 3, and we're going to uh, do some exploring around the, the walls and the gates of Jerusalem during Nehemiah's time. Now, this is going to be a little different than what if you were going to go today and see, although some of the gates we're going to show you are from current pictures. And so, but we want to take you just a, a little bit of a step by step in Nehemiah chapter 3. Thank you so much. Looks, push, the green one. push the green one. Let's see if it works. Okay, can y'all see that? Yeah, okay, good enough. All right. Well, we're going to get to it in a minute. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate your help. And so as we look at that, we see Nehemiah, again, as just a uh, way of reminder, is set during a distressing time during the people of God. And the events of Nehemiah are largely uh, here, uh, similar to the same setting as what we see in Daniel. And just uh, on, the, uh, on the rebuilding part after uh, their time in captivity. And so we see that God is just doing a tremendous work. In 536 B.C., we see the Persian king Cyrus decreed that the end of the exile for the Jews and allowed them to return back to their city. Ezra recounts for us the, the building of the temple uh, in 516 and takes us right up into the time of Nehemiah. And then, we're, uh, and then Nehemiah... We see here, pleads with Artaxerxes to uh, be sent to Judah to rebuild the walls and to help rebuild this city. And so Jerusalem essentially is in a mess. Uh, and, there's, and so it really, with Nehemiah, it takes great courage and boldness to be able to come out and to call them to rise and build. In Nehemiah 2.17, he says, Then I said unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how that Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach. And so he calls them and he says, come on, join me. And where Ezra was about restoring the temple and the worship of God, we see that Nehemiah is about restoring the walls and reestating the glory and the strength of those who are called out to follow the Lord. And so... As we see this, it's a story of hope, it's a story of encouragement, it's a story of perseverance and unity even in dire circumstances. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, we see really he focuses on the reconstruction of gates and portions of the walls and some towers. And he calls out some people specifically. And a couple, uh, maybe last Sunday, we dealt with just a preliminary look at Nehemiah 3. And today we're going to look at the ten gates that are mentioned. And so when we think about a gate, uh, how many of you have a fence around your yard, right? Okay, good. And you probably have a gate to go in and out of your yard. Why do you have a gate? So you can go in and out, okay. Why else? Keep people out. Y'all don't keep pets in the gates, in the fences? What you do, regardless, you keep things in, you try to keep people out regardless, but it allows things in and out, and the gates were basically in ruins, and so this was a, a vital portion of the wall, and so it was not going to be an easy work. They would have to uh, have timber, timber replaced because the gates were burned with fire. Uh, they would have to make sure that all of the massive doors were set in the stone sockets that were buried under the ground, and there's 10 of these gates to be constructed along the outer wall. And so if it wasn't enough of a task, then they had to do it also under threats of uh, invasion from their enemies. And so the people of Jerusalem labored 
with their swords and with their trowels, as Nehemiah 4 talks about. So we're going to take this trip around Jerusalem, and we're just going to pick up Nehemiah chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, but before we do, let me just go ahead and... Uh, where's those graphics? Are they the next one? All right, so let me just show you a couple of graphics. If you were to lay uh, Jerusalem on its side, and uh, this would be the north side uh, here, and this is the southern tip here, uh, you're going to be able to see kind of where everything is. This is the sheep gate, gate number one, and we're going to make our way around the outside of the walls here around Jerusalem until we end here at the inspection gate. And so we'll uh, go ahead and show the next bracket. Uh, this, so this is going to be a little bit easier maybe for you to see. Sheep gate here, fish gate, old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, fountain gate, water gate, horse gate, not to be in water gate, anyways, east gate and inspection gate. But it's not the scandal, amen? So we're going to have some fun tonight as we look at these different gates, and they've got some great uh, truths to them, a lot of fun as we look at these. And so let's look at Nehemiah chapter 3 in verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate, they sanctified it, and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, and they sanctified it unto the tower of uh, Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next unto them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. And so let's pray together and ask God to bless our time. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to study the Word of God, to be encouraged through these different gates. And I think about the gates of our life and how that uh, our, our, uh, we allow things in or we keep things out through the gates that we have set up in our life. But Lord, even here as we look at the significance of each of these gates in the city life, we recognize as well that there, there is significance in our life as well. And so would you draw us close to you? Lord, in the next uh, 30 minutes or so, as we uh, look at the Word of God, have our hearts to be encouraged. Lord, as we look uh, from all the way from uh, the sheep gate all the way into that final inspection as we stand before the Lord, Lord, what an incredible time it will be. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here at the sheep gate uh, in Nehemiah chapter 3, we see that this is the very first thing that Nehemiah starts with. And this is the gate, if you will. This is kind of a, a reconstruction of what that gate would look like. And as they would go in, this was literally where they would allow the animals were brought into the city, including the temple sacrifices. And so it was a type of inspection gate. And so as they came in, they would inspect these animals as they came into, uh, into Jerusalem. And uh, this gate was situated near the temple area. Can you go back to, I'm sorry, I'm going to make you jump back and forth up to that uh, graphic, the black and white graphic. All right. Sorry, I didn't lay it out real good for them tonight. So you can see here's the, the sheep gate. Here's the east gate. And the east gate, uh, you can see, enters right into the temple. And so this is going to be really easy for, to get those uh, animal sacrifices into the temple area. Thank you. You can go back. And so we see here this, this incredible thing that God's laid out for us, that this gate was obviously logical that this would be a place where the, the priests would take priority of this. And so they wanted to make sure that it was, uh, this was a gate that would be sanctified because it was dedicated to God in a, in a special way. As Christ entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, He did so as a sacrificial lamb. He entered as the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. In John 1.29, we see the next day, 
John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then John 5 and verse 2, it says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. So we see that there's this sheep gate here mentioned in John, as well as the fact that Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God. Now, uh, you know, whether he came into the sheep gate, I believe that he came into the eastern gate uh, as uh, on that uh, Palm Sunday. But as he entered into, we see that he came as that Lamb of God, perfect, acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. He was the only one worthy of that sacrifice. And so Nehemiah began his record uh, right here at the sheep gate. And it's important for us to recognize that uh, spiritually this, this gate reminds us that apart from Christ, apart from His sacrifice, we could have nothing eternal and satisfying. And just as this gate doesn't have any locks or bars, so does the way of salvation not bar anyone out. And so we must turn to Him first, make Him a priority in our lives. And so we move on to next the fish gate as we look here. In this next gate, uh, this is located west of the sheep gate along the north wall. We're tra traveling counterclockwise, if you will. And between the, uh, the two, we find the towers uh, Hamea, and, uh, which means the hundred, and Hananiel. And these were part of the city's defenses. And this is at the northern end of, end of the city, which was vulnerable to attack. In verse number three, it records this. It says, But the sheep gate did the sons of uh, Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. This gate was a common gate that was used by merchants when they brought fish from the Mediterranean Sea. And so it was a key entrance into the city. And you can see the beauty of, of that gate. And as we see uh, uh, just this importance into the lifeblood of this city. Listen, we can't expect God to bless us in any way until we have laid the spiritual foundations of our life that have been founded in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we start with the sheep gate. And we must come to Him by faith. And we turn to Him, then He pours out His blessings as we're faithful. And, you know, those blessings are not monetary always. Sometimes they're just blessings of His presence, of His peace in our life, and as we serve Him, His power. But then he goes along in verse number 6, if you read with me, we see the old gates. It says, Moreover, the old gates repaired Jehoiada, the son of Passiah, and Meshulam, the son of Bosadiah, and they laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. In Nehemiah's day, the northwest section of the city was what they called the new quarter. And this gate led into it. And so this old gate then leads to the new quarter. It is from the old that we derive, that we drive the new. And if we abandon the old, there can be nothing new. That's why we don't say, listen, we're, uh, we, we forget about the Old Testament. We still teach and preach. It's a foundation for what we believe today. And we're thankful for Christ who was a fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. Today, many people want to rewrite history and they want to change things so, uh, so that they can change the future. They want to change the history of America. Uh, they want to change the, the, the Bible. And when we do so, uh, and we stop learning from the past, we no longer build uh, what God desires for us going forward. Jeremiah 6, 16 reminds us, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good, where's the good way, and walk therein. And you shall find rest for your souls. And so we see here that God calls us to this time of just walking with the Lord. And God wants us to learn from the mistakes. 
Let me just speak to those who are just 40 and younger tonight. We need to take time to sit and listen at the feet of those that are older than us. Those who are wise, those who have the biblical foundation in their life, we, we would do well to silently sit in their presence and ask questions instead of arrogantly offering answers. So let's remember the old gates. But there's also the valley gate. As we look here in Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 13, just a little bit further down uh, the, the passage here, it says, The valley gate repaired Hanan, and the inhabitants of Zenoah, they built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. This is where uh, Nehemiah began his nightly inspection. Very, in verse chapter number 2, it was about 500 yards from the dung gate, and, and, and uh, both of these opened into the valley of Hinnom. Uh, and so the workers here uh, they, that prepared this also repaired the long section of wall between the two gates. They repaired 17, about 1,700 feet, and this is an extreme dedication to the work of God. These guys loved the Lord. They were dedicated to the Lord. And every Christian, I believe, can learn from their dedication to God. They said, listen, there's not too much here. We can accomplish this. Compare that to verse number, uh, to, to verse number 5 in Nehemiah 3. It says, And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. And so we see this huge difference here. And what the difference was their humility. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It's only as we yield to Christ, we serve others, that we can truly enter the fullness of the life that he has for us. And we see that in Philippians chapter 2, his call for us to be willing to just to humble ourselves and put on that mind of Christ. The next gate is the dung gate. Now, I, obviously, some of you, are, my children are probably over there laughing, but this is what it was. It was the waste gate, if you will. Nehemiah 1.14 mentions it. It says, But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of Beth. Hecarium, and he built it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. This was located at the southernmost tip of the city near the pool of Siloam, and it was the main exit into the valley of Hinnom. It was where the city disposed of its garbage. Uh, this was often used as a word picture of Christ of, uh, of hell. Remember, he talks about where the worm dieth not. Mark 9, 44, he says, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Uh, that was often referred to uh, in the dung gate and all the masses of garbage and the, the worms that would live there. King Manasseh actually had sacrificed children to idols in the valley of Hinnom. In 2 Chronicles 33, 6, it says, And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the, in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to, an, uh, to anger. But then King Josiah came along, and he had desecrated the place by turning it into a rubbish heap. He prevented the children of Moloch of offering idols any longer in that place. 2 Kings 23.10 says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, 
that no man might, might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. This gate didn't have a beautiful name, but it did perform an important service. And it reminds us that uh, just like each city uh, must rid itself of garbage, we also must rid ourselves of things that defile us. As 1 John 1, 9 reminds us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great work that God does in our life. We move around the corner here to the fountain gate in Nehemiah 3 and verse number 15. It says, But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalom, the son of Holzel, the ruler of parts of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and the wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. So this was near to the pool of Siloam and is the old city of David. And the water tunnel was built by King Hezekiah. In 2 Kings 20 and verse 20, it says, And the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all, all his might, and how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city, are not, they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And so we see that the Gihon Spring that fed this water system was an important source of water for the city. And so this was like a, a life-bringing source for this city. It was absolutely essential. In the Bible, when we think about water, it is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a believer. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, we see the, uh, the, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And water for washing is a picture of the word of God. And so as we look here, we see we've moved from the valley gate, which is humility, to the dung gate, which requires a cleansing, and to the, the fountain gate, which is really where we see God just doing a great mighty work through the fullness of his working in our life. And so we're thankful for the fountain gate, thankful for God uh, just pouring out his goodness in our life. And as we continue, um, uh, the seventh gate here is the water gate and not the scandal in verse number 26, as he looks here, uh, he says, Moreover, the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel unto the place over against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. And we see we were led from the old city of David and to, to the Gihon Spring adjacent to the Kidron Valley. And so we see that in the water gate, Jerusalem was one of the uh, few great cities that was not near, built near a great river. And so the city depended on reservoirs and springs for its water. And really it was a place where they had to just trust the Lord. And so as these temple servants worked, we see that they uh, just were able to make or be, to become drawers of water. Remember Joshua 9, 23, he says, Therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And so we see here at this water gate, uh, as, uh, as we're drawn here in this place, that, uh, that it reminds us of God's Word. In fact, as we think of the water gate, Ezra and the priests conducted a great uh, Bible conference, and they explained the Scriptures to the, the people right here at this location. And it said that this gate is uh, to have not been repaired as the others. You notice they, there wasn't any wording, as we talked about verse 26, about them repairing this particular gate. And I'm so thankful for the picture here that the Word of God stands forever. It will not fail. It didn't have to be repaired. It didn't have to be rewritten. It didn't have to be changed. We can just come to the Word of God and believe it for what it is. Psalms 119 and verse number 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Or Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, 
but my words shall not pass away. So the, let me just remind you, the Bible doesn't need to be repaired or improved. It just needs to be rewritten. I need to read it again. All right, so let's move on. Gate number eight, the horse gate. I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time on any of these because of our time tonight. But Nehemiah chapter three and verse twenty-eight. As we look here, uh, it says, "From above the horse gate repaired the priests, every one over against his house." This is where Athaliah was executed. If you remember, in Second Chronicles chapter number twenty-three and verse fifteen, he was a wicked uh, king and said. Uh, queen, excuse me. So they laid hands on her, and when she was come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house, and they slew her there. And so God warned his people not to trust in horses, right? He didn't say, don't trust in chariots. But Solomon, he brought them in anyway. He imported them from Egypt, and he built horses, horse barns, and they became an important part of the nation's defense system. So important that we even see a gate where they allowed them into the city. And so the horse gate reminds us that there is warfare in the Christian life. Remember 2 Timothy, if you want to turn in your Bible there. I don't believe it's on the screen for you tonight. But in 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verses 1 through 4, we're reminded that there will be uh, some time of warfare in the life of a Christian. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ, Jesus Christ. No man that it warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so as we live this life, it's significant that we must make sure that we repair, we prepare for the, the spiritual warfare of our life. But notice this was also repaired by the priests. The next gate is really intriguing, the east gate. This is a current picture of the Eastern Gate, also called the, the Golden Gate uh, in today's vernacular. Nehemiah 3.29, as we look here, it says, After them repaired Zadok, the son of Emmer, over against his house. After him repaired also Shimeiah, the son of uh, Shechaniah, the keeper of the East Gate. And so the east, Eastern Gate, as we mentioned before, leads directly to the temple. And it's what we know of today as, as a Golden Gate. And tradition uh, says that, that Jesus entered the temple on Palm Sunday through this very gate, riding upon a donkey. In the 16th century, though, the gate was sealed up with blocks of stone by the uh, Turkish Sultan uh, Solomon the Magnificent. He also planted a Muslim cemetery in front of the gate. His thought was he was going to prevent the Messiah from ever entering the gate. Little did he know he'd already come through. And he's coming again, amen. amen. Jewish and Christian tradition both connect the Golden Gate with the Messiah to Jerusalem and Muslims associated with a future judgment. Look at Ezekiel 44 with me, because Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord depart from the temple at the east gate, but he also saw where it would return. In Ezekiel 44, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then he brought me back to the, uh, by, excuse me, then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looked, looketh toward the east, and it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. Listen, when He shall appear, we can have confidence and not be ashamed. We can know that He is Lord when He enters into that beautiful gate there. 
First John chapter 2 and verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his company. The eastern gate. I'm looking forward to that day. This last gate um, is, is called the Hamithkad, uh, or the inspection gate. And I think I probably pronounced that wrong. I looked it up, but uh, I didn't write it out phonetically in my notes, so forgive me. But the inspection gate, this is where the uh, army was reviewed. The army would have been registered, and it was on the north side of Jerusalem, which was the most vulnerable. So this was a logical place to locate the army in Jerusalem. Let me just say that when our Lord returns, He will gather His people together. He will review their works in preparation for giving out rewards for faithful service. Let's look at some scriptures together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, he said, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stable, uh, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And then 2 Corinthians also deals with this same uh, moment where we are inspected, if you will, brought before the judgment of the Lord. And he says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. And then Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. Why, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. As Nehemiah comes to this place in Nehemiah 3, he goes around and he starts with the sheep gate, the way of salvation, and he ends with this incredible picture of the, the coming judgment, this judgment seat of Christ. And, and as we look at these different gates, I just want to remind you that God has a plan for our life. And God desires for us to repair the gates in our life. And maybe uh, tonight you're here and you say, you know, I've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, let me just say, He is the great Lamb of God. He is the one that we can turn to tonight. He is the one that we put our trust in. He is the only one that saves. And church, that's the message. And I know you hear me say this a lot, but that's the message, the greatest message that we have uh, in all the, for all the world is that Jesus saves. We have heard the gospel, uh, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. And so let us proclaim this message. Let us be faithful to get it out. That truly Jesus is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the whole world. But then as we look at our life, we see that as we come to Christ, He has a desire to work in our life to, re to not only redeem, but also to purify and to bring us into a closer fellowship with Him. And how vital that we allow God to do this work in our life. 
Because when we submit ourselves to Him and say, God, I just want to give you my life. I want to submit my life to you, and I want to allow you to remove some things. I want to allow you to add some things that, uh, that need to be in my life, daily Bible reading, faith, and trust, and, and, and just, uh, just prayer. And as we add those things and God grows our faith, we see God wants to make us into His image so that when we stand before that inspection gate and we stand before our Lord that, that glorious day, we will not be sorrowful. It will be a day of great rejoicing, a great day where we can, we can be glad and be able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant.